0: He believes that the United States and Russia can have a stable and predictable relationship and that the U.S. and Russia should sit down together at the leader's level to discuss all of the issues facing our relationship. Yeah, we've got some issues, don't we? We'll work them out.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling something
0: right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Stairs Clowns to the left of me, Jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas' KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst others, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me. From Bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome to the Bradcast. A Pulitzer Prize-winning business columnist joins us momentarily, who is, uh, at least seems to be, as skeptical as I am, it seems, about all of these corporations that are now coming out supposedly in favor of democracy and against restrictive voting rules like the voter suppression legislation that was recently enacted in Georgia and the hundreds of similar provisions being pushed by Republicans at this point in virtually every state. But lo and behold, we've got corporations now coming out on the side of democracy, so everything should be fine because if there's anything that corporations believe in, more than democracy, I just don't know what it is.
1: Gosh, you sound a little cynical about corporations to the rescue.
0: What, me? Hi, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Hi. Uh, anyway, at least I think he's uh, as dubious and skeptical about these companies and their statements supposedly in favor of democracy as I am. Uh, how how brave of those companies, by hey, the way.
1: skepticism is always
0: warranted. Anyway, we will see shortly about that, but speaking of democracy, sort of, and the fight to protect it, Sort of. The Biden administration on Thursday announced the U.S. is expelling 10 Russian diplomats and imposing sanctions against dozens of companies and people in an effort to hold the Kremlin accountable for what they describe as interference in last year's presidential election and the cyber hacking of federal agencies. The sweeping measures are meant to punish Russia for actions that U.S. officials say Cut to the core of American democracy and to deter future acts by imposing economic costs on Moscow, including by targeting its ability to borrow money. The actions are certain to exacerbate tensions with Moscow, which has already promised to retaliate sanctions against six Russian companies that support the country's cyber efforts represent the first retaliatory measures against the Kremlin for the hack familiarly known as the Solar Winds Breach, characterized by U.S. officials as one of the broadest hacks into U.S. federal agencies in history, including the Treasury, Justice, Energy, and Homeland Security departments, amongst others. On Thursday, U.S. officials explicitly linked that hack to a Russian intelligence agency. Officials said they were uh, said that they were uh, determined to act because of the operations broad scope and the high cost of that intrusion on private companies, as well as the federal agencies. The U.S. also announced sanctions on 32 individuals and entities accused of attempting to interfere in last year's last year, the 2020 presidential election, including by spreading disinformation. U.S. intelligence officials alleged in a declassified report last month that Russian President Vladimir Putin authorized influence operations to help Donald Trump in his unsuccessful bid for reelection as president, though there is no known evidence Russia or anyone else changed votes or manipulated the outcome, according to Associated Press. The move is the administration's second major foreign policy action in two days following the announcement, the big announcement of uh, a full troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said in a statement, quote, these actions are intended to hold Russia to account for its reckless actions. We will act firmly in response to Russian actions that cause harm to us or our allies and partners. But he added, quote, where possible, the U.S. will also seek opportunities for cooperation with Russia with the goal of building a more stable and predictable relationship consistent with U.S. interests. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan today echoed Blinken's remarks, telling CNN that President Biden remains open to dialogue in hopes of improving the relationship between the two nations following a conversation uh, said to have been a tense conversation between the two leaders earlier this week. As he said to President Putin earlier this week, his goal uh, is to provide a significant and credible response but not to escalate the situation he believes that the united states and russia can have a stable and predictable relationship that there are areas where we can work together like arms control and that the u.s and russia should sit down together at the leaders level in a summit between president biden and president putin to discuss all of the issues facing our relationship The White House also said that President Biden was using diplomatic, military and intelligence channels to respond to reports that Russia encouraged the Taliban to attack U.S. and allied troops in Afghanistan. You recall reports of alleged bounties on the heads of U.S. troops had surfaced last year, but the Trump administration came under fire for refusing to respond to or even raise the issue Directly with Russia among the individual companies sanctioned were websites that U.S. officials say operate as fronts for Russian intelligence agencies and spread disinformation, including articles falsely alleging widespread voter fraud in 2020. I know it's just a coincidence that uh, websites that are regarded as, uh, you know, Russian intelligence operative fronts happen to echo the exact same thing that the Republican Party and Donald Trump have been pushing for months and months. But I guess the uh, Biden administration doesn't think that's much of a coincidence. The individuals who were targeted... Uh, with these sanctions include Konstantin Kalimnik. Remember him? Oh, yes. He's a uh, Russian and Ukrainian political consultant who worked with former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort and who was indicted by special counsel Robert Mueller in the uh, Russia investigation. Now, this is interesting because in announcing this move, the Treasury Department... Actually suggested that Kalimnik gave internal Trump campaign polling data to Russian intelligence during the 2016 election. And you may remember this. We've uh, talked about it. We've heard a lot about it when the Mueller report came out and during the uh, first impeachment, I guess.
1: (laughs) It is hard to keep up.
0: It is, but I'm trying. Paul Manafort, who was uh, uh, Donald Trump's initial campaign manager, had given polling data for some reason that we don't know is internal polling data to this guy, Konstantin Kalimnik, who had been uh, connected to for a while, connected to uh, Russian intelligence. And now they're saying that, you know, he was directly working with Russian intelligence. But they did not say that the information that was given by Manafort, that polling data that was given to Kalimnik, they hadn't gone as far as to say that Kalimnik had given it to Russian intelligence, at least not until today. The uh, Treasury Department suggested that, in fact, Kalimnik did give the internal Trump campaign polling data to Russian intelligence. Again, this is during the 2016 election. Uh, The uh, announcement uh, today says, quote, During the 2016 U.S. presidential election campaign, Kalimnik provided the Russian intelligence services with sensitive information on polling and Trump campaign strategy. So that goes further than any previous assessment of the fate of that internal Trump campaign polling data that Paul Manafort had notoriously shared with Kalimnik during the 2016 uh, campaign. For example, the Mueller investigation uncovered that Manafort had directed his associate Rick Gates to provide Kalimnik with that polling data repeatedly throughout the summer of 2016, but the Mueller investigation was unable to conclude what Kalimnik then did with that information afterwards. The 448-page Mueller report, released in a redacted version uh, uh, in April of 2019, stated the office— Speaking about the special counsel's office here, the office could not assess what Kalimnik or others may have uh, or, or, or others he may have given it to actually did with it. So that's sort of where the Mueller report stops on that information. And then there was that 966 page bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee report, which for its part stated the committee the Intelligence Committee was unable to reliably determine with whom Kalimnik further shared that information, and that the committee did not obtain records showing that Kalimnik passed on the polling data. The uh, national security website, Just Security, today suggests that the Treasury Department's new statement raises questions about why this information is coming out now and why the special counsel's office. Robert Mueller's office did not have access to it during its investigation. They ask, was it not available then or did it did it exist, but was not provided to the Mueller team at the time? For now, that question remains unanswered, but it does seem worth highlighting here because the Biden administration may this could suggest that it may have Received information that was previously withheld by the Trump administration on all of this.
1: I don't think anyone would be surprised if that turns out to be the case.
0: You wouldn't be surprised, but this is the first sign that we have actually seen of that, at least in regards to this particular investigation. So just, you know, bookmark that for now, sticking a pin in that for now, because I think it... Uh, might come back later. It might come back in the days ahead. And meanwhile, after the sanctions were announced on Thursday, Russian Foreign Ministry spokes, uh, spokeswoman Maria Zakharova warned that, quote, such aggressive behavior will undoubtedly trigger a resolute retaliation. She said Washington should realize that it will have to pay a price for the, de- uh, for the de- degradation of of the bilateral ties between the two countries, adding that the responsibility for that will fully lie with the United States, she says. Mind you, what the United States is doing is in theoretically in retaliation for what Russia did, so... Who's going to uh, be responsible for paying that price? Uh, Well, that uh, remains to be seen. She said the ministry has now summoned the U.S. ambassador for a, quote, hard conversation, but wouldn't immediately say what action that Russia will take. Biden administration officials have made it clear in their contacts with the Russian side that they are hoping to avoid a, quote, downward spiral in the relationship, though today's actions Uh, Don't bode well for that. The two leaders had a second tense call this week in which President Biden told Putin to, quote, de-escalate tensions following a Russian military buildup right now of some 80,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. And uh, Biden said that the U.S. would, quote, act firmly in defense of its national interests Regarding Russian intrusions and election interference alike, so uh, that's going well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so, hey, the, at
1: least somebody is stepping up to do something about these things.
0: I guess yes. Uh, it, would, it would be nice if we had more information. Yes, that's all I'm I saying. Agree. But we are beginning, I guess, to learn more. At least we are learning how much we still do not know. So, as we've noted for some time. The uh, cleanup on Isle 45 uh, is going to be continuing for a while, it seems. We will do our best to stay on it until there is somehow, somewhere, for someone, some kind of real accountability for the hell that this nation has been put through over the past four or five years, including at the uh, U.S. Capitol on January 6th when it was attacked, thanks in no small part to Donald Trump's lies, about election fraud, which were either echoed by him or echoed after him on uh, some of these websites that uh, the U.S. is calling out as uh, disinformation sites today. All of that, of course, is uh, also fueling the continuing Republican attempts to double down on the lies That led to the U.S. Capitol attack, amongst other things, as new voter suppression laws are being instituted by state lawmakers around the country, Republican state lawmakers, even as Republicans in Congress are doing a great job of preventing new laws that would help to protect and expand democracy, God forbid. And while Republicans uh, don't seem to care that voters oppose measures that make it harder to vote, hundreds of businesses and corporate executives this week have now issued a statement in support of democracy. Sort of. Mostly. I will look that gift horse in the mouth next with Pulitzer Prize-winning business journalist Michael Hiltzik. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: Well, you told
0: me that you loved me But actions speak louder than
2: words Yes, you do Oh, you said you loved me, baby But actions speak louder than words You're right Well, I won't be fooled no longer, baby That line everybody heard Yes,
0: they have. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from brandblog.com the headline for the striking full two page wide ad really reads in all caps, quote, we stand for democracy. Below it, the short public statement signed on to by hundreds of major companies and corporate executives across the country reads a government of the people by the people, a beautifully American ideal, but a reality denied to many. For much of this nation's history, as Americans, we know that in our democracy, we should not expect to agree on everything. However, regardless of our political affiliations, we believe the very foundation of our electoral process rests upon the ability of each of us to cast our ballots for the candidates of our choice. For American democracy to work for any of us, we must ensure the right to vote for all of us. We all should feel a responsibility to defend the right to vote and to oppose any discriminatory legislation or measures that restrict or prevent any eligible voter from having an equal and fair opportunity to cast a ballot." The uh, statement concludes voting is the lifeblood of our democracy, and we call upon all Americans to join us in taking a nonpartisan stand for this most basic and fundamental right of all Americans. Amazon, Google, Warren Buffett and hundreds of other companies and executives signed on to the new statement released on Wednesday, published, as I say, as a full two page ad in The New York Times, The Washington Post and other papers. Opposing, quote, any discriminatory legislation that would make it harder for people to vote. It was, as The New York Times describes it, the biggest show of solidarity so far by the business community as companies around the country try to navigate the uproar over Republican efforts to enact new restrictive election rules in almost every state. The statement was organized in recent days by Ken Chenault, a former chief executive of American Express, and Ken Frazier, the chief executive of Merck, both black executives who had organized a similar group statement about two weeks ago, signed by more than 70 black executives at the time. That helped lead Atlanta-based companies like Coca-Cola and Delta to come out against Georgia's newly adopted voter suppression law, which makes it more difficult to vote by mail, limits the use of drop boxes, bans the distribution of food or water on vote on long voting lines, typical in certain parts of the Peach State, and allows the partisan GOP state legislature to replace bipartisan county election boards with a single partisan person who will be able to undermine elections or even overturn their results. The letter by the black executives also led to Major League Baseball choosing to pull this year's All-Star game and draft from Atlanta and moving it to Denver. That enraged Republicans, leading uh, to them calling for boycotts of Major League Baseball and Delta and Coke and a great example of that so-called cancel culture that they pretend to abhor. The new statement, which was also signed by companies like General Motors, Netflix, Starbucks, represents the broadest coalition yet to weigh in on the issue. The statement does not address specific election legislation in states where Republicans are attempting to enact similarly restrictive voting measures among them key battlegrounds such as Texas, Arizona and Michigan. But it would seem to suggest the hundreds of companies and executives would oppose such measures based on the declaration of, quote, defending the right to vote and to oppose any discriminatory legislation or measures that restrict or prevent any eligible voter from having an equal and fair opportunity to cast a ballot. In response to the initial backlash from corporations in Georgia, lawmakers in the state threatened to rescind a tax break that saves Delta Airlines millions of dollars a year. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida posted a video calling Delta and Coca-Cola, quote, woke corporate hypocrites for criticizing the law. And of course, Donald Trump joined the calls for a boycott of companies speaking out against the voting laws. Before the mass statement was published on Wednesday, Los Angeles Times Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and business columnist Michael Hiltzik commenting on a Zoom meeting reportedly held over the weekend with more than 100 business leaders to discuss their plans for what appears to have been Wednesday's landmark statement cited what he described as, quote, the best joke offered in recent days by that superb comedy stylist, Senator Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell who responded to the backlash last week with this insanely hypocritical statement.
2: My warning, if you will, to corporate America is to stay out of politics. It's not what you're designed for. You get my drift. If I were running a major corporation, I'd stay out of politics.
0: Next time we play that clip, I think we need to end it with a, uh, a rim shot. What is so rib-tickling about McConnell's joke, Hiltzik notes, is that politics has long since become a wholly owned subsidiary of American industry. As recently as 2017, he reminds us corporations won a huge tax break. That happened with the help of then-Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who, for his pains, has received more than $4.3 million in corporate contributions over the past five years, in fact, McConnell's allied political action committee raised more money last year than any other PAC in existence. Four hundred and seventy five million dollars from corporate CEOs and even corporations themselves like Chevron and, yes, Coke Industries. Hiltzik points out the obvious that big businesses' minions on Capitol Hill have kept the federal minimum wage stagnant, for example, at $7.25 an hour. They've ensured that business regulators like OSHA and the Departments of Labor and the National Labor Relations Board remains under-resourced and overwhelmed with responsibilities. And yes, the same goes for the IRS, which, Hiltzik notes, lacks the funding and staff to devote adequate attention to corporations and the wealthy. That comes in handy. But Hiltzik goes on to argue that it's not only McConnell who is being a hypocrite here, as he appears skeptical of at least some of the companies and executives who have been speaking out of late. He notes it's proper to observe that Delta and Coca-Cola, which both issued statements declaring the Georgia law, quote, unacceptable, after its passage in late march failed to act when their opposition might have derailed it before passage not after moreover he charges their statements came after they had sustained public humiliation for their initial silence in fact both companies declined to sign on to the new statement this week maintaining that they have already spoken up about this issue The truth, as Hiltzik concludes, is that political reform will not result from corporate initiatives. It requires legislation backed by public support, measures like the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which would expand and protect voting rights. He says, let's see America's corporate CEOs come out for those measures. Then we can talk. Well, while they haven't come out for those measures, they have come out sort of against measures that would restrict the vote, if not necessary, not necessarily in favor of measures that would guarantee or expand the franchise. So let's talk about that and about even more hypocrisy that the Pulitzer Prize winner cites in his business column this week at the L.A. Times. Michael Hiltzik, it has been a while, but welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be back with you. First, before we get, well, to some of the reasons to be somewhat dubious about all of this, including the statement this week, and I have my own reasons, which you didn't mention in your column, but I hope to get to also, the new ad published this week has been positively cited by a number of voting rights organizations and advocates, as a as a business writer, how unusual is it to see such a large spectrum of these businesses making such a loud joint statement like this on anything much less something political?
2: Well, so uh we've seen them do things like this in the recent past. Uh maybe not not so many companies coming together, but but close. Just about 2 years ago, uh you may remember that 187 CEOs signed on To a statement put out by the Business Roundtable, which is a big industry uh, lobby group, Mm -hmm. saying that they were no longer going to run their companies simply for the benefit of shareholders. They were going to keep in mind other stakeholders, um, uh, uh, workers, customers, suppliers, the communities where they had plants or locations. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, they did that, um, and of course... um, just uh, a few months ago uh, quite a few companies uh, more than a 100 certainly came out and said that they were going to suspend political contributions to especially to uh, politicians uh, lawmakers who had voted against certifying the presidential election returns mm-hmm. on January 6th that they were they were not going to support those mm-hmm. those politicians again and in both cases i think it's safe to say talk was cheap, and action uh, was too expensive for them to really <laughs> yeah. adhere to.
0: We will get to some of those details in a moment that you point out in your column. I, you know, I've seen a discussion of this ad this week referring to it as an unusual statement on uh, such a partisan issue, but isn't that really the problem to begin with, Michael? I mean, Since when did support for democracy and voting Become a quote-unquote partisan issue, or am I just being pathetically naive in that it has always been, but it's only now that even the media seem to be describing it as such?
2: Well, I wouldn't say pathetically naive, but <laughs> but look, you know, we, we've certainly seen uh, it, it's it's not that unusual for businesses to uh, affiliate themselves on the sides of the angels when they feel a lot of popular pressure. To do so, but but once again, um, the question is: what are they going to do about it and, mm-hmm. and let's face facts. The companies, many of the companies, if not all of them, that signed on to these uh, these statements, these honeyed words, had been assiduous supporters with a lot of money of the politicians who were now out there introducing and passing laws that restrict the voting franchise mm-hmm. in uh, in Georgia. Delta and Coca-Cola came out and said that the Georgia uh, voting restrictions were unacceptable, but they did that after they were already passed. Mm-hmm. And although they claim that they were jawboning with lawmakers in Georgia before the passage of this law to uh, to lighten it up, uh, or, you know, to mm-hmm. to take out some of the more egregious, Restrictions they certainly didn 't do that publicly right. they didn't they didn 't really put their uh, put their reputations on the line when they didn 't think they had to, and as a result, we have a law in georgia it 's going to be very hard to repeal because the more these companies come out and say this is wrong, the more the 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 right wing legislators who passed it are doubling down and and uh, basically saying you know we 're not going to count out to these these liberal left-wing corporations. Yeah. So so they lost their chance. They're trying to recover. But I, I don't really think they deserve a lot of uh, of credence, and mm-hmm. just by signing a statement.
0: What actually, my my big complaint has been, uh, Michael Hiltsik, that uh, you know, for weeks we were reporting, uh, warning about this bill as it was moving through the Georgia legislature, and as they were, you know, getting ready to do this, and uh, there were people uh, protesting and and uh, rallying, lobbying against it. You know, citizens, actual voters who who did not want to see this passed, and Republicans gave them no uh, credence whatsoever. Now the companies come out, and it's almost as if they're saying, oh no, now we better pay attention, the media is doing the same, oh now we're going to pay attention because these corporations are you know, concerned about it. I kind of find that insulting and infuriating that the people, the actual voters, seem to have... No credibility at all. It was only once the companies jumped into this matter that it even became an issue.
2: Sure. Well, in fact, the the, the politicians aren't really saying that that they care. They're they're taking the exact opposite standpoint because they've already they've already done the damage, uh, and and there it is. Um, it's possible that if these companies had actually thrown their weight around. Before this law was passed, mm-hmm. uh, something would happen, and it's possible. Let's face it: that now that American industry has has said it's going to throw its weight around, that other states that have been contemplating these sorts of laws might think twice. Mm-hmm. But but there's no evidence as yet that they've stopped the the march of mm-hmm. voting restrictions in in red states at this point. And, and of course, the, the the problem is that the companies. They've signed a statement, but none of them has said what they're going to do about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only business entity that actually has taken action is Major League Baseball, Mm -hmm. which, as we all know, uh, withdrew the All-Star game this year Mm -hmm. from Atlanta and moved it to Denver. But the other company, we certainly haven't seen Delta say they're going to move their headquarters Mm -hmm. or they're going to do anything concrete. We haven't seen Coca-Cola, which is probably the one corporation most closely identified with georgia and atlanta they haven't said what they're going to do if anything so so these are basically empty gestures and and i don't think we should really expect as i wrote
0: Mm -hmm. i don't think
2: we should expect anything concrete from these companies
0: yeah i'd go farther to say that coca-cola is is one of the most identified uh... brands with america period Right up there with Levi and, yeah, Major League Baseball. Also, there was apparently some controversy on this uh, recent statement from some of the executives about including this part of that statement. Quote, We all should feel a responsibility to defend the right to vote and to oppose any discriminatory legislation or measures that restrict or prevent any eligible voter from having an equal and fair opportunity to cast a ballot. That sort of seems to be the whole heart of the statement, and yet some of these folks uh, seem to be against that. And uh, I guess the the leaders of the group, Ken and Ken, insisted it stay in. But uh, what should we glean from that? It seems to underscore uh, your skepticism uh, about all of this, doesn't it?
2: Well, I I, I think it's true that that big businesses, uh, especially if they're uh, if they're consumer facing businesses are very wary of taking anything that might look like a political stand or a partisan stand. And what, the, what that means is that they've sort of um, capitulated to the idea that voting rights is a partisan issue, mm-hmm. and they don't want to get involved. But that's really irresponsible. And if, if that's the case, then this statement should never have appeared at all. Mm. Uh, the fact is that that these companies have already voted with their wallets in favor of this sort of behavior, because they've supported these politicians, and let's face it, they're they're going to continue to support these politicians if they think there's something they can get out of it.
0: Which is exactly what caught my eye in your column, Mike. Uh, you, you cite the quote pledges by some 300 big corporations following the January 6th Capitol insurrection to suspend contributions to Republican members of Congress who voted to object to certifying the presidential election results. But when you began to look into some of those uh, pledges from some of those big companies, what did you find?
2: Yeah, what I found, and it was completely predictable, is that this, uh, this solid wall uh, uh, against this sort of behavior has already begun to, to crumble. JetBlue, AT&T, and now Toyota, they've all walked back their commitments not to contribute to the politicians who refused to certify the vote on January 6th. They've all they've all made contributions. They've mm-hmm. sort of weaselled around their commitments by saying, you know, it was AT and T that said, well, you know, we committed that we wouldn't support the re-election campaigns of the uh, the legislators who refused to certify the vote. Uh, and we've been assured that the contributions that we've made in the last few weeks won't be used for re election. <laughs> but the fact is when AT made its initial statement yeah. that it was suspending contributions, it didn't specify that it was only going to suspend contributions to re election campaigns. It said we're not going to com- we're not going to contribute to these legislators mm-hmm. in any way and now they are contributing. Uh, Jet Blue has said, Well, you know, we said we weren't going to support these politicians, and then they made a direct contribution to one of the congresswomen who voted against certifying the elections. And they said, well, we've sort of thought about it, and we think that, uh, you know, where we need a seat at the table because of the interests of our industry, we're, we're going to contribute. And of course, the uh, the member of Congress that they've now contributed to is on the committee that oversees the airline industry. So mm-hmm. so when push comes to shove, they yeah. go back and they look at their own corporate interests rather than the public interests, and that's, that's exactly where we were before any of this happened and, the, and where we always are.
0: And in as much as uh, some of these companies sort of weaseled out by saying, well, we didn't give it to the to the candidates directly. Instead, we donated to the House Conservatives Fund uh, or the National Republican Campaign Committee, which, of course, that money is used to elect those very people. That voted against uh, certifying, uh, trying to overturn, in fact, uh, the presidential election last year. Remarkable hypocrisy. And again, today it's the Federal Elections Commission quarterly deadline for, I guess, announcing uh, uh, fundraising totals. And uh, Judd Legum of uh, Popular Information has been reporting today that so far he's counted eight, for example, eight different uh, uh, Republican candidates who voted against Joe Biden's election, who have received money from Toyota, one of the companies that said they wouldn't be. Well, you know, I guess to be fair, Mike, they did say we're going to suspend our contributions. They didn't say for how long. So maybe for a day or two they didn't give the money. Is that.
2: Well, yeah. I I mean, you know, when you looked at the initial pledges, uh, they were all basically qualified. Mm -hmm. You know, they said we're going to suspend we're going to take a closer look at this right. it, and not very many of them if any at all said we're absolutely never going to uh... make a donation to these particular politicians ever again they they all they always had their eye on the door mm-hmm. uh, on the exit door in case they actually needed help from from these legislators or were really afraid of them and and that's why i i think uh you know, we we really don't need we should not take these latest statements uh, in favor of voting rights very seriously at all.
0: Uh, Legum also notes GM, Wells Fargo are all finding ways around uh, their their pretend statement of outrage after January 6th. There's also another hypocritical aspect of all of this that you cited as well in your column. Uh, when it comes to these companies uh, and their own sort of personal dedication to democracy within their own company in regards to uh, their own supposedly democratic votes by shareholders explain uh, explain what you mean by that
2: yeah look the uh, companies talk about uh, shareholder democracy all the time and this goes back to this whole idea that that a public corporation is really run when you boil things down for the benefit of its shareholders after all the shareholders theoretically are the owners of of the enterprise mm-hmm. um but but shareholder democracy is and always has been a sham um, most shareholders don't in some companies shareholders don't even get a, a vote or they get a very diluted vote mm-hmm. and even in companies where the rule of one share one vote uh, stands firm it's it's rare for any shareholder, uh, even uh, in the aggregate, to have the weight to actually sway a company to do something or not to do something else. So, uh, if you look at the history of shareholder votes on shareholder resolutions, and these are uh, resolutions that can be put on a, a company annual meeting agenda mm-hmm. for a, for a, a vote by shareholders, if 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 one of these resolutions gets Forty percent of a vote—that's considered to be an incredible victory for shareholder democracy mm-hmm. because it's so rare and it's so hard to actually achieve that. Management always says what it wants, sharehold- how it wants shareholders to vote on these. and makes a public statement: we support this or we oppose this. And by and large, the shareholder community basically does what management ma- wants and and what's really hypocritical about all this is that these same companies that have said we believe in democracy, we believe in everybody having a vote, they've actually gone to the securities and exchange commission and they asked for and received a tightening of the rules that makes it even harder for small shareholders to get resolutions mm-hmm. on the annual meeting agenda and to and to to actually get votes on the, sh- on the resolutions that they submit. So, so, look, corporate managements, they don't believe in democracy in their own backyard, their own front yard, and they don't really believe in it to the point that they're actually going to do something about it for the rest of us when we're voting for, for political leadership.
0: Mm-hmm. Which all sort of brings me back around to my own initial point here, a concern about all of these statements. If we are counting on corporations to save our democracy, Uh, as, in in one sense, uh, happy as I am to see them coming out and sort of speaking up. But if we're counting on them to save our democracy, uh, aren't we perhaps in more trouble than any of us may be recognizing here at this point?
2: Well, I think what we're seeing is that the companies that signed on to the statement, uh, or these statements, and that includes the one that... um, black executives put up a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what they're trying to do is get out in front of a parade at, in a the, in the desire to keep regulators from actually forcing them to do anything no. or forcing them or forcing something on them that they really don't want. So basically, they're signing on. They're hoping that it will dissuade some states from, from doing anything particularly egregious, which would put them under more pressure right. to actually act. So you know they're they're still pursuing their own corporate interests, yeah. rather than the public interest
0: before I let you go uh, michael hilick in in sort of a related ish point i've I've argued for years that a, a great campaign finance reform, whether it would meet the muster of our stolen u s supreme court that's a separate matter uh so it might need to be an amendment to the Constitution or something. but it would be that if you if if you can't vote for a candidate then you can't contribute to them. And that would keep people from, you know, for example, flooding campaigns in other states where they don't live, you know, with outside money. And it would prevent corporations, which as of now anyway, do not actually have a right to vote. Uh, not yet. Uh, but keep them from interfering in elections. Uh, wh- what do you think of that as a, as a reform? How would, how would that go over?
2: Well, my basic rule of thumb is that corporations shouldn't be permitted to make contributions to political campaigns Mm -hmm. under any circumstances. The one thing that really drives me crazy is when, and we see this. This is part of the Supreme Court Supreme Court rulings as well. It's always part of the political discussion is when um, corporations are sort of compared or or juxtaposed with labor unions, and, and mm-hmm. you know we see th- these sorts of rulemakings which say, well, um, if labor unions can do something in terms of contributing to its political campaigns, then corporations should also, or if corporations should be barred from doing something, unions should too. I think this is a comparison that makes no sense whatsoever. When a corporation does something, when it decides to make a, con- a political contribution, basically that's at most maybe 15 individuals, the board of directors, and in some cases one individual mm-hmm. who's making a decision for that one individual's interest or the board of directors' interest. When a union makes a contribution, it represents hundreds thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of individuals who are members who all have a vote on union policy so these are very different things and basically i think unions should have the 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 leashes taken off them they should be able to make any contributions they want because they represent basically a popular viewpoint and corporations should have no right to make contributions at all because they're only Pursuing very narrow interests and not the public interest.
0: Well, Michael Hiltik, I was delighted to see a business columnist uh, who was as skeptical and dubious about all of these uh, statements that we've been seeing of late. No, <laughs> well, uh, I wasn't as I born was.
2: this way. I learned my cynicism, you know, <laughs> at the at the feet of a professional
0: I see well and I'm I guess I'm learning it today from you Michael Hiltzik is the Pulitzer Prize winning business columnist and journalist at the Los Angeles Times you can find him and hold him accountable on the Twitters at HiltzikM. M Mike always great speaking with you my friend uh, greatly appreciate it look forward to doing it again soon anytime Very good.
1: You know, one of the things that Michael had mentioned was this uh, SEC ruling that companies can stop shareholders from bringing these activist votes forward, right, and right, a lot right. of these activist votes that that are under this that fall under this ruling yeah. are about climate change and oh. shareholders trying to force companies to act on climate change to report on climate change impacts.
0: And the companies saying, no, no.
1: Not going to do it. Not
0: going to do it. We're no. going to
1: go to the Big Brother SEC and say, stop.
0: Yes, no democracy for us. But other than that, we're totally in favor of democracy. <laughs> yeah. I am so cynical today. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, quick break and, oh, who's up next, Des? me right the green news (laughs) report straight ahead on the broadcast i'm brad friedman Okay, Jesse Doyen, I've got a uh, follow-up to one of the stories that you're about to cover here that I want to make sure we have time for, so let's get straight to it. First, our latest Green News report.
3: The annual threat assessment describes an array of threats we are facing in the coming year.
1: U.S. Global Threat Assessment warns climate change is a clear and present danger. Japan insists the water is safe. Fukushima's radioactive water to be dumped into the ocean. Plus, to combat climate change change France moves to ban short
0: flights How does that combat climate change Don't tell me All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
1: And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand
0: by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
3: Ecological degradation and a changing climate will continue to fuel disease outbreaks, threaten food and water security, exacerbate political instability and humanitarian
0: crises. Okay, yeah, but other than that, why is climate change a problem? This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you've got the global threat assessment, blah, blah, blah. I'm only interested in why banning short flights helps climate change. But I guess we'll get there. At the very end.
1: (laughs) Yes, we will. That's what I thought. In its latest global threat assessment report, the U.S. intelligence community cautions that man-made climate change remains a looming and growing global threat to U.S. interests at home and abroad. In the first hearing in two years on the annual global threat report, Director of National Intelligence Avril Haynes warned the Senate Intelligence Committee this week that global warming risks further destabilizing a world shaken by the effects of the COVID 19 pandemic and will drive migration. Ecological degradation
3: and a changing climate will continue to fuel disease outbreaks, threaten food and water security, exacerbate political instability and humanitarian crises. Warmer weather can generate direct, immediate impacts, for example, through more intense, frequent, and variable extreme weather events, in addition to driving conflicts over scarce natural resources. And the changing climate conflict and economic deprivation will drive vulnerable populations from their homes heightening humanitarian needs and increasing the risk of political upheaval.
0: That sounds like a problem.
1: In other news, despite coronavirus shutdowns around the world, levels of carbon dioxide and methane in the atmosphere rose in 2020. Methane racked up its highest year-over-year increase since records began in 1983. Mm. And that matters because methane traps much more heat in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide on shorter timescales. Part of the surge is attributed to the massive build-out of natural gas infrastructure worldwide.
0: What's the other part?
1: Um, The other part is from biological sources like wetlands and cattle.
0: Cow farts.
1: Yep. I knew it! Atmospheric CO2 levels have reached their highest point in 3.6 million years. The last time atmospheric CO2 levels were this high, sea level was 78 feet higher.
0: Yeah, I remember that.
1: The government of Japan this week announced that two years from now, it will intentionally discharge into the Pacific Ocean more than 300 million gallons of radioactively contaminated wastewater that has accumulated over the past decade since the meltdown of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant because it is running out of room to store it. Japan says the treated water is within safe levels, but critics warn that radioactive isotopes in the water could potentially contaminate the marine food chain.
0: And that is exactly how we got Godzilla. I'm just saying, what are you doing, Japan?
1: China's foreign minister challenged Japan's deputy prime minister that if the treated radioactive water is safe, then quote, Please drink it. Oh, God. Here in the U.S., President Biden's first budget has been sent to Congress, reflecting his spending priorities for fiscal year 2022, which include undoing much of the damage done by the Trump administration. Biden's budget seeks massive increases in funding for the Environmental Protection Agency and for clean energy innovation, research and deployment, electrifying the federal vehicle fleet, environmental justice initiatives, and climate and weather science research.
0: It's the undoing. More
1: good news. The U.S. solar industry had a record year in 2020, despite the COVID-19 pandemic slowing down some projects. That's due mostly to solar's increasing cost competitiveness with fossil fuels.
0: 2020 was the best year ever.
1: Finally, France is moving to cut more emissions and clean up air pollution. The French National Assembly voted to ban airline flights within France, where there are alternatives that take less than two and a half hours, mm. like the country's high-speed train system.
0: So there'll be less flights, so there'll be less emissions from those flights. Exactly. But won't that mean people use more cars, which makes things worse?
1: No, they'll take the high-speed train system. And it's offering car owners an incentive to trade in their aging, polluting clunkers with a $3,000 incentive to use toward the purchase of an electric bike.
0: How much does an electric bike cost?
1: About $3,000.
0: Good deal. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide, even in France, on the Facebooks and the Twitters, At Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report.
2: I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. (laughs) I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I
1: like.
0: (laughs) You know, any show that we can end with Queen uh, uh, can't be all that bad. Uh, as promised, uh, a follow-up on that on this uh, troubling story about Japan dumping all of its nuclear contaminated uh, radioactive waste into the ocean.
1: Yeah, a process that's expected to take decades.
0: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned already that uh, the Chinese Foreign Ministry is not happy about it. They're <laughs> saying not. Uh, because Japan is saying, "Oh, it's totally safe," uh, and they say, "Of course, if you think it's so safe, why don't you drink it?" South Korea is not happy about it. Well, the Japanese government, this is according to The Guardian today, the Japanese government has been forced to quickly retire an animated character dubbed Little Mr. Tritium <laughs> that it had hoped would help win support for its decision this week to release more than 1 million tons of contaminated water from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant into the sea, according to The Guardian. Although the water will be treated before being discharged, it will still contain tritium, which is a radioactive hydrogen isotope represented on a government website by a cute fish-like creature with rosy cheeks. Adorable radioactivity, little Mr. Tritium, <laughs> little Mr. So Tritium. cute. The uh, character's appearance <laughs> oh, in an online flyer and video on the reconstruction agency's website, however, angered Fukushima residents. Uh, 82, an 82-year-old uh, Fukushima fisherman told the Kyoto News Agency, "It seems the government's desire to release the water into the sea." takes priority over everything. The gap between the gravity of the problem we face and the levity of the character, he said, is huge. Uh, The Reconstruction Agency oversees the recovery efforts in the region that was destroyed by the March 2011 earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear meltdown, and they removed the promotional material on Wednesday, a day after it first appeared. Experts say tritium is harmful to humans only in large doses and that with dilution, the treated water possesses no scientifically detectable risk. But the character was created to explain that the release of tritium into the sea is standard practice at nuclear power plants around the world. It is? Really? Local fishing uh, communities say that the water's release will destroy a decade of hard work to rebuild consumer confidence in their seafood. But that's only because the people have yet to see that. Uh, little Mr. Tritium.
1: Bye, Little you know, Mr. Tritium. He's
0: so cute. Let's eat their fish. <laughs> all right, we got to go. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer, to my guest today, the Los Angeles Times, Michael Hiltzik, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it any time for free at BradBlog.com. All of this made possible by those of you who support our work. By stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. So thank you for that. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That is it. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck,
2: world.